Welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. Uh, I am your host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hey. And we are reading the first volume of Nana, uh, a.k.a. the the two standalone one-shots um, that, you know, started the whole thing. Uh, the first one being Komatsu Nana, and the second one being Osaki Nana. Um so first first order of business here. Uh and this is somewhat of a spoiler, but <laughs> can we establish a, a standardization for name for the yeah. naming of the characters? Yeah. So can we yeah, just do just... Hachi for Nana Komatsu? Yeah. Oh, that's funny, like, cause like Nana means seven. 
So like Hachi. I wonder if I wonder if the manga itself will make that joke. <laughs> yeah, well, when the name Hachi um, is introduced. But yeah, we we should just say Hachi and Nana because that's the that's the easy way to do this. Okay, yeah. So Nana Komatsu is Hachi from now on, um, which is a spoiler <laughs> uh, to a degree, but uh, not too big, not too big of one. Yeah. Um, and then Nana will be Nana Osaki. Yeah. Um, for, for the synopses that I have here, uh, I will just stick with saying Nana for Komatsu Nana when we're doing that chapter, because, uh, Osaki Nana doesn't only Hachi's in that chapter. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess I can, I can say, I can just, while I'm reading it, replace it with Hachi. That's probably fine. But if I, if I slip up and say Nana, you listeners know, I mean Hachi. <laughs> Um, I realized I was, I had this moment of like, oh, I should write synopses. And I was like, oh, I actually did a bunch of the work for this when we did that, uh, new year special. Um, I did go in and I, I added a little bit more, I expanded it slightly, but, um, I did just pull from that. Um, yeah. Well, uh, do do you want to do these? I would be lying if, yeah, I'll I'll do these, but, uh, I also revived my notes from our, yeah. New Year's special because not to recapitulate what uh, I don't think too many prefatory remarks are needed because we just did an intro, intro episode. Um, but uh, I think we both took a lot of notes and did a lot of prep for the New Year's discussion mm-hmm. and then just ended up like not we getting to a lot of it. Arguably way too much prep. Some might yeah. say. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is such a great, now that we're rereading Nana, one of the several reasons that I'm so excited for it is because I was able to just like pull up all of the old notes, the ideas that I was like really excited about that we never, uh, that we only just skimmed. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, like not only can I go back to these ideas, but also I've already done a shitload of prep work. Like this is the first time we've <laughs> yeah. done a season of podcast where we just start it and so much of my prep work is already done. Yeah. Uh it's uh, it's such a joy. Um my plan for this season, I and I did it with this one, uh already. Um I had my notes from from last time and I just added to them and like edited them as I went yeah. through. Uh, like if something would come up, I would just like double check my note and be like, oh, yep, that was in there. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to add this. Um, I also realized like one of the true great things here is um, I just have a physical copy of the manga that I can just like flip through like we do on Puton. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I can just like pull stuff up, you know, live while, while we're recording, I can just like flip through if we want to talk in more detail about a scene and be like, okay, let's like talk through what happens in the scene. I'm, not, I'm excited about that. Cause I I've occasionally had the itch to like pull up an anime and like try and watch some of it while we're talking about it. Um, but the logistics of that are just a lot more difficult and I'm like, yeah, going to be like it, clicking and typing and stuff. So if you don't have like the clip prepared, ready to yeah. go, like hit play, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I hope we do that uh, because I've also I've made preparations on my side. Um, I have a um, CBR. I have the digital files in Nana 
and I have a CBR yeah. reader. Um, so I have it here in my other window, and uh, so it'll be very convenient if we want to look uh, more closely at a certain page or panel or whatever, which uh, we maybe we won't, but I, I'm guessing we probably will at some point. Yeah. Um. So what I guess with <laughs> those preparatory remarks that I was saying we weren't going to do. Oh, I, uh, I had two things okay. before we, we get into the, the synopses. One, do you, do we want to do Hachi, read the synopses, talk about it, then Nana, read the synopses, talk about it? Uh, that's up to you. I, th- I think especially here that works. We'll sort of see as we get to the other chapters. Do we want to just do all the synopses and talk about it? But I think we there's such a separation here that we can talk about them. And then at the end, maybe like bring them together a little bit or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, my other thing is that I just wanted to do a joke of, uh, you know what you, what you get when you have two Nanas? 14. Season 14 of Ghost Divers. <laughs> Okay, I was pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, uh, I love that. <laughs> it's perfect. I had that realization today while I was prepping the folders and stuff for this. So Okay. So you weren't um, you weren't crafting that joke for too long. No. It it was literally like an hour ago. <laughs> nice. Uh well yeah, I think that's the perfect segue to start talking about um volume one. Uh so We've alluded to this, but uh, volume one, <clears throat> we get the introduction of the two Nanas, uh, and it's basically split in half. Uh, so uh, we get an arc on Nana Komatsu uh, first, and then it shifts uh, to Nana Osaki. Uh, so we'll talk about um, Nana K or Hachi's arc, and then we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll move to um, Nana Osaki. Uh, so Nana Komatsu. Uh, after a long string of crushes on older men, Komatsu Nana finally dates and is dumped by a married man, 29-year-old office worker Asano Takashi. Following advice from her best friend Junko, uh, Hachi tries to become friends with boys her own age before dating them. Things get off to a rocky start as she tries to maintain friendships, uh, a friendship with Endo Shoji, uh, one of Junko's old friends, while Junko herself immediately falls for Shoji's friend, Kyosuke. Shoji, Junko, and Kyosuke uh, all eventually decide uh, to move to Tokyo to attend art school, uh, and, and Hachi uh, wants to follow them, but she fails to get into any uh, any of the schools there and consequently will be left behind. Um, or she needs to, you know, figure out another way to, to get to Tokyo. Uh, on a trip to visit Tokyo shortly before the big move. Uh, so this is the whole group, uh, Junko, Shoji, Kyosuke, and Hachi. Uh, they go, they go together to kind of, you know, you're visiting the city you're going to go to school in. Uh, so you're getting housing and, and all that. Uh, but uh, Shoji finally snaps at Nana um, for uh, – well, we have uh, yanking him around 
there's yeah. a little bit more behind it. Which Th- we'll this talk is about, sort of sure. what he's saying, but yeah, yeah, that like I I'm interested in you. From what I hear, you're maybe interested in me, but you don't really treat me that way. But also, you like depend on me, and you kind of act like I'm supposed to be around you all the time. Um, and I don't know what we are. Like, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> Why aren't we dating? <laughs> Basically, yeah. is the gist of it. Exactly. Um, so, uh, he kind of snaps at Nana or Hachi. Maybe this is going to be harder than, (laughs) than I, I thought it was going to be easy to say Hachi. Uh, he storms off leaving Hachi lost and alone. Uh, but just at that moment, she happens to run into Asana Takashi. Uh, and they go out to dinner together and talk a little bit about, um, their relationship and their breakup. Uh, and it seems like Hachi kind of reaches uh, some sort of closure for her heartbreak. Um, after making up back at the hotel, uh, so um, Hachi finds the hotel again after meeting with Asano, um, talks with her friends, talks with Shoji. Uh, they make up um, and finally begin dating. And Nana commits to staying home and working to save up money uh, to move to Tokyo herself one day. So, obviously, we can get into more details about what happens, but I wanted to have just like a general orienting. Here's what happened. Yeah. Um, do we want to do the first page? <laughs> yeah, I think the first page is a good pl- a good place to start, and then, um, the other thing that makes sense for me to do kind of at the top is maybe just talk generally about um, Aizawa's style, like the formal elements um, that she's using uh, and kind of how the, um, how the manga is constructed and illustrated and whatnot. Yeah. Um, we can also talk about the ways that this shifts over time. Uh, yeah. Cause that's, that's one thing too, that like in their own, in the intro episode, I was slightly more interested in mentioning, like, here's the years that it came out. Um, normally, we will talk about an anime, and I, I guess I could be like, this is a, you know, uh, 2002 anime from Production IG or whatever. Um, I don't know what anime. I'm just picking a random year in studio. <laughs> uh, but a lot of those are like more contained within like a season and like a specific uh, uh, specific time in anime. So like maybe it could orient some people who are just listening about like, oh, when did this come out? What studio is making it? That might give them a sense of like stylistically. But we'll just like talk more about the style. Uh, but manga is just generally longer running um, and also sort of takes longer to release than an anime. Famously, they'll do anime adaptations for manga, uh, where the manga has been running for a while, the anime comes out and very quickly catches up to where the manga is. And then either it just has to start making up its own thing, um, which I feel like the, the US equivalent is what happened with Game of Thrones, um, or it just sort of stops, but that's fine because often in Japan, especially, the anime functions as a sort of advertisement for the manga to get people to like be caught up and then start reading the manga as it's coming out. Um, all, all of that to say, I'm sort of excited about us being able to talk about how is her style changing throughout the years. Um, and 
I guess before we even get to the first page, um, we can talk a little bit here of, um, especially in in this volume, uh, one her her panel style is almost always like very like they're like all rectangles with like v- they're very clearly in line with like the edges of the paper, you mm-hmm. know, the lines are parallel. Um, there are some manga styles where there'll be like, you know, slashes across the page. Uh, she really does not do that. Um, we might call out if it happens for dramatic effect. I feel like there's a point in which she starts doing it more often. Um, but right now it is like very, uh, everything is sort of parallel, um, with the page itself. Uh, it's also compared to, uh, some manga that I've read, uh, I would say a fair amount. It's fairly dense. Um, there are a lot of certain panels might orient you within a space a little bit more. Uh, but a lot of panels might be just the characters. Um, and there might be one panel in particular on a page that will really orient you in a space, uh, give you more details. There might be a couple others that will give you some vaguer details to sort of remind you of, uh, where they are. Uh, but they'll be a little bit vaguer. Um, and then there are, there are lots of panels that will just purely be the characters. Um, I would say she also moves from like this more realistic, uh, drawing obviously like stylized in a, in a manga way but like more detailed drawing i guess um and then it will sort of slide into more cartoony faces uh smaller like almost like not quite chibi but like almost like chibi design to some degree um yeah, you can see on page uh <clears throat> i don't know if my um pages are going to correspond well to yours because mine's digital but um, I'm looking at page 15, which is Nana talking about like Mr. Nakamura, Mr. Kawasaki, the chef, Yoshida, um, where she's kind of going through. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like cutaways, back uh, shots of her in the background with the more cartoonish, um, you know, illustration of her yeah. face. Yeah. Um, and then I would say, especially at this point, uh, pages are often very dense with words. Um, you will occasionally get these large splash pages that will, um, often have fairly large texts in boxes, uh, a, a sort of stylistic thing that, uh, happens a little bit in this, but will become more established when it becomes serialized is like you get to the end of the chapter and you get some like full page image of like a, a landscape with like a, maybe a small figure at, in it or something or like, you know, but it'll be like a fairly large image uh, that's like giving you, you know, a space and a, maybe a person occupying it or maybe just like the cityscape itself or whatever. Um, and then we'll have these boxes that will be like, you know, back then, whatever that I refer to as like the voiceover stuff. Um, and so, uh, sometimes there are these like splash pages that give you more overpouring of emotion. Uh, there's also like the page where, um, Hachi and Shoji first have sex where you get like the big, like, you know, lights fluttering across it. Um, let me see if I can find a, a page number. Cause the one thing with the, the manga is that they don't put a number on every single page. Um, but it's like shortly before we get to Osaki Nana. 
Um, and you get like a, a larger splash page there as well. Giving yeah, you for me, it's page 99 okay. um, on my digital yeah. version. But uh, yeah, we have a, a huge, it takes up like three quarters um, yeah. uh, of the page. And then we have like a, a panel uh, of Junko bottom left. But uh, yeah. it's this wide, um, not quite close up, but uh, yeah, this this wide shot of them like you know ha- having sex um, with uh, in this kind of like abstracted against this abstracted background. Yeah, um, and then I guess the other thing to to note is um, she did go to. Uh, Yazawa I went to fashion school. Um, I think she may have dropped out or something. I don't know if she actually graduated. Um, <clears throat> but there is a certain uh, fashion style to the way that she draws characters. Uh, there is a way that, like, if you've seen the more detailed fashion illustrations, um, there's a certain way that I think she pulls from, like, sometimes it's like an even an older style. Um, but there's a way that she pulls from that. There's, there's a lot of attention to like outfits and, um, that includes like rendering fabrics and like the patterns on fabrics and things like that. Mm. Um, characters will, and this is especially true for Hachi. Um, Nana, I think like as a character, uh, Osaki Nana, she's a little bit more defined by this like, uh, punk image. And there, there's a way that, she clearly has like favorite articles of clothing that she has because it's like a, you know, um, Vivian Westwood thing that she has. And it's in that style. Um, and there's sort of a, a, a slight amount of like practicality to her wardrobe in that way. Not always like it's, it's obviously showy in like a punk way. Uh, but there's also like that kind of showy punk practicality to the way that she dresses. Whereas Hachi's like new outfit every time, you know, um yeah her, she's like her, her style changes over over the yeah she changes her hair frequent like aside from even the haircuts that happen in this volume she'll like have it up or you know do various things with it um where whereas nana is a i guess also like a little bit messier so mm. um in just her, her general presentation but um I don't know yeah, if there's the anything else you wanted to notice note note with her style. Um the only thing I would add is that she uses a lot of overlapping. Um so we'll yeah. have like um it's page twelve for me, so it's early on. Um but uh this is the part of the conversation where Junko and uh Hachi are in the bathroom and you have the bottom um the bottom row uh where Hachi is saying, no way, I'd die if you went to, to-, uh, to Tokyo too, June. Um, so you have uh, like a wider... Um, so instead of you know w- one uh, line having two panels basically split down the middle, um, you now... That, that space is kind of reallocated. Um, so you have, uh, you know, a, a larger... A panel that's essentially the entire horizontal length of this of the page, um, that is overlapped by, um, you know, a, a smaller panel that is like the former style. Um, and yeah, frequently, um, gutters become occupied as well by this. 
Um, she plays like, she plays around with the uh, blending that like the suggested spaces or like the negative space of those overlapped panels with the gutters um, yeah. and then like manipulates the space on the page um, and, and gets starts to create some like um, very dynamic or like more experimental um, uh, layouts um, of the panels and like constructions of space. Yeah. Um and yeah, I I did note one where uh, let me see if I can find a, a nearby page number to to orient. Um but I mean it's the part where um where Hachi says uh no, don't touch me to to oh, um yeah. Shoji and it's like one of the few times where you get that big slash line as well. Um and it like adds to the the impact of that moment. I think. Yeah, for me, it's it's thirty six. Um, um, okay. So it's going to be like the first thirty something pages in the, um, in the volume. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, you have this like trapezoidal <laughs> panel, uh, or a couple like trapezoidal panels suddenly, um, at this key moment. Um, and also, I mean, if you look at the gutter, um. The middle panel here where she's yelling no and, and swatting uh Shoji away. Um you have this bottom right panel where um we have like her swatting Shoji away, we have the cutaway to the close-up of her, but really like in her within her mind. Um and then uh you know to, to the right of that we have What's happening outside of her head, which is June, like, holding her. Uh, but then that connects with the gutter flowing back up. Up the page, uh, vertically, uh, to the top right panel, <laughs> which is, like, the same space. Uh, it, it's, like, a different shot of the same space and the yeah. same scene. Um, so, like, the gutter is blending these two. Even though it's it's clearly, like, uh, it's affecting like different panels or a separation um it's also like a united uh in in this way yeah there's also a way um and you see it on this and you also see it on i think it might be like 56 um but like in, in many ways the panels feel like they when you have like the harder lines of the panels, it feels like it's over those ones that sort of extend more into the gutter. Uh, but then like, even on this page that we're talking about, you get like uh Junko's foot going over the panel. That's like otherwise over the background of the space, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, the shot on the beach with her walking away from Shoji. You mean, um, let me see. Would that be 50? So, uh, 56 with the, the manga ones would be, um, it's the one of like, they're in the bedroom, um, the like hotel bedroom, I think, uh, Hachi and, uh, Shoji, um, and Hachi saying, it's hard to maintain a co-ed friendship, isn't it Shoji? Uh, and he's sort of looking like almost at the audience with a, uh, you know, extended ellipses. Um, and his head is like going over the panel that's otherwise over the image that like the bed of the room that they're in. Um, Got it. 
the other thing uh, that I will note is um, she moves a lot between um, drama, including like intense melodrama, um, and then moments of like comedy. Uh, it, it sort of also coincides with like the flowing between the more detailed or realistic images and the more like uh, cartoony images. Um, I mean, even if we go back to the, like, no, don't touch me one where you get the more realistic, like, uh, you know, her yanking her, her arm away, uh, and shouting no, uh, and that's more realistic. And then like, there's sort of the realism of, of, uh, June holding Hachi, but then Shoji has more of a cartoony face of being like, what's going on? Uh, sort of like unaware of what exactly is happening. And then you get that, like realistic but but limited image of her face with just like you know the the hair clips in her hair and her like eye crying with like the sort of abstract uh background foreground thing happening um that panel in particular where she's saying don't touch me is very uh first gundam (laughs) Uh, in a way (laughs) in a way (laughs) expound on that i like Uh, i like the straight of thought especially like late (laughs) first Gundam where the new type stuff is like really intensifying. Um, and then you're getting these things where, uh, and I think it's like a really unique thing about, um, you know, Gundam 0079, like the, the very first one, um, where there's a specific way that they are using cells where they'll have like a cell that will have the highlights just be white because you're just going to lay it on the white, like, thing that you're going to photograph to to do that shot but then they start showing intensity by like laying that same cell over red so it would normally be white highlights now become this like red and then they start doing it where they will overlay that uh uh over like abstract uh animation and patterns happening and then they start overlaying it over like uh psychedelic imageries of like the ocean spreading and like a character becoming the ocean itself and things like that. Um, and, and that like feels very unique to that era of production. Like I feel like cells would, would less likely do that for the highlights. Um, and like that enables them to like progress from normal animation into like the weird new type stuff happening. In a way yeah. that in First Gundam is fascinating and has never been done that way in like any other Gundam thing since. Um, but this has yeah. it because you sort of get the, there's like an image, but it's being overlaid o- over this like sort of abstract background. But the background is also becoming part of the figure uh, that is like yeah. really showing the intensity of emotion. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. And the effect being uh, conveying this like tremendous psychic intensity mm-hmm. um which is um so not to, not to digress too much uh on this on this page yeah. not to digress from our systematic <laughs> uh <approach laughs> our systematic so jumping around yeah but uh i don't know if you remember uh but when i first started reading nana for the uh New Year's special episode. Yeah. At a certain point early on, I texted you and I was like, I just hit a moment that was really like, like I'm hooked in now. Yeah. 
Uh, and then I, I promised to like tell you what that moment was, and then I never got around yeah. to doing it. No, I think you did. It was this moment. Okay. It was the yeah. It was the no, don't touch me, and then the you don't, uh, you don't love me, don't touch me. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm glad I told you because <laughs> uh, this this was the moment when I was first reading it where I was like, I mean, I was engaged obviously, um, and like into it up to this moment. Uh, but this is the first moment in the manga where I really felt like, oh, I like, I just touched what this comic or what this manga is going to be. Um, like this is going to go to a depth that, uh, like I just saw like how the depth that this is going to go to and the intensity uh of emotion that this story is like carrying in it uh and it just like broke through in this like brief flash with this tremendous clarity uh and poignancy and you just it's so palpable uh and then i was like hooked in and i was like okay um i know like what this what this manga is going to be now (laughs) uh and and it is <laughs> yeah uh this is born out later for sure um but this is what uh, one of the great moments in volume one here yeah um i think a similar great parallel moment is um just to to jump way ahead and get into the uh osaki nana one um but when ren says i'm going to tokyo uh so you can have whatever life you want uh to nana um, and then you get the the entire page spread that's just like the top of the page is like Nana's face in silhouette with like black for the background. And then yeah. she's white and then it just blends into like the, the sky, sky over the ocean. and the ocean. And there's like Yasu and Nobu just uh, standing there. The, <laughs> about to have the same conversation. Yes. Uh, about the um, same subject, like looking out into the vast empty <laughs> or not you know the vast like sky over this ocean um yeah, yeah but, the, but that is also excellent. like the bottoming that sky and the conversation that they are have is like uh held within the bottoming out of like nana, nana in this moment yeah. yeah absolutely yeah this is it's just excellent <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i guess um, the other thing I'll say from a stylistic standpoint, we've touched on it, but I'll just call it out specifically. Um, there are a lot of like, um, <clears throat> for lack of what is probably the proper vocabulary, um, there are a lot of graphical effects that are used, um, mm-hmm. abstract uh, graphical effects that are um deployed in a lot of different ways in relation to the um to the like diegetic uh material you know the characters and and the actual like actions that are and objects that are existing in the story um and i mean the the number of instances of this are (laughs) they're too it's very frequent so it's too numerous to to count um But suffice it to say, that's a big, a huge part of the style as well. Um, yeah. Using 
extending from like you know different types of backgrounds um either like to varying degrees of abstraction uh but then also like utilizations of this that are more gesturing towards diegetic like that seem to be interacting with or um like shadowing or uh portraying like the diegetic material um more so than like you know uh uh, working as in as an abstraction um so these are are happening uh constantly um yeah and i think that's another key aspect of the style is the the same way that the uh the illustrations of the characters and their like their figures and their clothing and everything um, tends to tends to hew to a more like quote unquote realistic style, but also but then um, can go pretty far into the cartoony uh, space. Um, these graphical effects are also uh, deployed in a pretty wide range of ways. Yeah. Um, one thing that she, she does often, um, that I actually have a, a, an immense amount of respect for, because there are lots of, um, manga artists who will, so, so let me describe the effect. Um, one example is like when, when they're all drinking and having the thing where, you know, uh, Hachi then runs through all of her love life and then, uh, breaks down and cries when she gets to Takashi. Um, but there's like a shot of like the, the beer can sitting and like one of them knocked over that is just a photograph that's been run through like Photoshop processing back in 2000, you know? Um, and she does this quite often with, uh, especially like spaces within a city. Um, so later on you'll get, uh, you know, the this is the beginning of our magical Tokyo adventures, isn't it, June? Finally, some real campus life, and it's like photos of campuses, um, and the names of the universities have been clearly like written on there with text, like Tokyo F Art College, mm-hmm. uh, T Art University. But these are also photographs that have been run through filters to like give you this like more easily printable and like very. Uh, like there's like a tone effect that happens when she does this. It's like breaking down the image into a series of screen tones that can easily be printed. That's I think part of what's happening here. Um, but there's a certain abstraction. There's also a certain like realism here. Um, and I know a lot of manga artists that will take this photo and then meticulously draw over it with all these lines to do this really detailed, highly realistic uh, image. And, I think it's incredible that Iazawa I will just take the photo and run it through Photoshop and, and put it in there um, because it, it still gives you, it gives you uh, a, a different effect, but it gives you like still, it gives you the effect of knowing the space. Um, it's not like killing yourself to do a page where you're just showing some buildings, which is a, a, a thing that some manga artists will do uh, sometimes literally. And I'm not saying that she also didn't have her own health effects. I don't know to what degree that was influenced by by manga. Um, writing manga, famously a grueling job. Um, yeah. But uh, 
yeah, there, there is a certain amount where I then respect that, like, I'm literally just going to run it through Photoshop. I'm, I'm going to do it. It's going to create its own effect. And it adds to, like, the certain style of her work. Um, yeah, it blends as well. Yeah. And, and it sort of blends into, despite portraying something, like, diegetic and realistic, it then blends into those moments where those effects get used for these, like, strange, abstract backgrounds. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I I had I hadn't even noticed that that was probably the nature of those <laughs> images. Yeah, uh, until you pointed it out. So I'm I'm glad you did. Um, this is also a thing, and and I appreciate this in manga in general. And I think she's really good at it. Um, there are some manga like th- this is famously a a critique or or an issue that I have with Berserk. Um. People love the manga Berserk, and it is it is really meticulously drawn uh, to such an extent that often things feel very on model, um, and backgrounds are really really meticulously drawn and detailed, and there'll be huge crowds of people, and there's something sort of impressive to it, uh, but there is also a way that I I deeply appreciate the plasticity of characters that like Yuzawa Ai draws where it is a by doing that she is able to move through some styles in like a very fluid way and she's also able to allow background to like appear and disappear as needed in a way that really clearly guides your focus as a reader it it clearly like just having you know Again, we'll return to that page because I'm sure we're going to talk about it when we actually run through some of the stuff happening in here. But the, like, don't touch me page, like, the fact that Shoji is drawn more cartoony is immediately cluing you into, like, the emotions happening here where there's this intensity of emotion that's happening with Hachi. Um, June is, like, more in on it uh in the holding but like she's slightly cartoony in the faces and shoji is like so outside of it and by having the the styles they're able to convey like yuzawa i uh she's able to convey that to you so quickly um and so intuitively yeah in a way that uh i think is part of what's really powerful about this kind of style um and she's not the only person who who draws this way um I think Ikoku Nikki in its own way has done similar stuff. And it's a thing that I've appreciated. Uh, it's a thing that I really like with, especially like manga is that you can draw characters so many different ways, like just do it and do it in ways that convey meaning and emotion um, instead of like constantly keeping them on model. And obviously animation can do this as well, but it's like, I, I think a far more difficult task to do that. Um because you're just having to do so many more drawings and you're having to like do all of that plasticity. Um, and a lot of modern animation has really, really, really leaned into like these very rigid, um, very on model designs, uh, in part because it just makes animation easier. You can just move around stuff in like, uh, like you can move around 2d models in, in, you know, some sort of animation thing. VTubers are like, as much as I enjoy watching VTubers, they are always on model because it's just a model that's moving. around. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of animation is pushing that way. Um, and I appreciate when animation can be more elastic and, and have that plasticity. And I also like when, uh, I think manga in particular, comics in particular, 
always have the opportunity to lean way into that because it's so easy to do that when you're just drawing different images on a page. Um, and so I appreciate deeply whenever, whenever artists do it. Yeah. Um, agreed. It's, it's a, a very important part of, um, why Nano works, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think you gave, <laughs> you outlined the, the reasons why very well. Uh, but we'll continue to see uh, Yuzawa I her switching between these different uh, forms of like figuration or these different styles um, becomes something that's very productive. Uh, yeah. As far as like delivering <laughs> the emotional content, uh, not only guiding uh, the reader. Um, in terms of focus and, um, you know, following what's happening and what's important, um, but then delivering it, uh, the content to the reader, uh, and making the, the poignancy hit, um, in, in these creative ways. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so do, do we want to talk about the first page? <laughs> yes. Okay. Now <laughs> I think we've framed up enough to, to actually talk about the, uh, the story um and we can start with the first page yeah uh do you want me to just read the text on this i would i would love for you to to do that surrounded by mountains my hometown is neither big nor little it isn't a big city or a tiny village way out in the country there is nothing that really sold the town for tourism I was the middle of three daughters left to my own devices my parents who are neither poor or who were neither rich nor poor. I uh, left to my own devices by parents who were neither rich nor poor. I grew up quickly. I was just about to graduate from an average local all girl high school. Um, so right out the bat, immediately defined by this like middleness, um, this like in distinction. Yeah. Indistinction. um, there, there is a way that uh, this in particular evokes a kind of, to me, to, to my own experiences, a Midwestern suburbanness, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is being in the middle of the country, uh, being in some, some suburb that doesn't really matter, and it's not really that rural, but it's also not the big city, um, and... You're just kind of in this space. Uh, and then we get the big splash page that says Nana. And then the the next, like, you know, page continuing the story just immediately says, and I think this is also important, Tokyo <laughs> with a question mark. Uh, yeah, just, just blasting in yeah. at the top with the uh, speech bubble, but like divorced from any uh, origin or like context when it it's introduced. Yeah. Um, which we'll um, get at the bottom of the we start getting at the bottom, but we have a um, this wide, like overlapping panel where snow is falling in the background, and it's just like cent- high centered uh, speech bubble Tokyo, like crashing in. Mm. Um, and then it just like quickly moves into the heartbreak. Um, right? Yeah. Uh, uh I think. Beyond what you said already, um, as far as characterization goes, um, 
the first page is really uh we'll understand more and more the significance of this for Hachi. Um but suffice it to say now um that it's not an accident <laughs> uh that this first first page of the manga where she um where she is introducing herself um and identifying herself in this way um it is in fact articulating a, something important about her character and how she sees herself um which uh i think at minimum we should take note of <laughs> that uh she views herself in this way or this is an anxiety that she has and and her struggle um with identity um def uh self definition um and then this like you know again the sense of indistinction um the other thing i would say about this is the style of narration here is interesting um because it's 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 clearly uh a um it's clearly spoken from a uh future <laughs> uh yeah. in the past tense right um so this is someone speaking at a later time uh reflecting back on the period that we're about to see yeah um and there are um one line in particular uh the i grew up quickly line um always stood out to me as somewhat of a non sequitur um here uh or like a seeming non sequitur so it kind of it draws the attention where um everything else is describing the same thing, which is, you know, I'm in this, I'm the, have this Goldilocks life where it's not too big, not too small, not rich, not poor, um, middle, not the oldest, not youngest. Uh, but then you have like this ellipsis leading to this conclusion of, I grew up quickly. Um, and that line itself seems to hint at, the char- the speaking characters consider like larger considerations about their identity and uh the like shape of their life um that are charged with a different kind of um emotional texture than just like meditations on um oh yeah i'm from this unremarkable town like uh but to say that you grew up quickly um is is an interesting uh meditation here um, yeah so. um well and i i think also captures i mean to to one look a little bit at this chapter itself but also to look forward to the you know series as a whole um when when she's talking about like I grew up quickly. One, there's sort of this, like, you know, the specific text of left to my own devices, this, like, um, in being average and being middle, there's, like, a way that you can kind of fade into the background and then you can, like, 
uh, get up to the the hijinks that will cause one to like quote unquote grow up quickly. Which this ties into like these anxieties that that Hachi has around um, her sexual desire, and you know we're immediately going to go from from this narration into like a a much older man breaking up with her, basically saying, "I'm moving from my job. Uh, you're about to graduate from high school." Like, <laughs> um. So there's a there's a certain amount of like I grew up quickly in that and th- this way that she thinks about um, her sexuality and her sexual desires uh, and like the you know uh, there's there's a way that her character is going to be colored by and struggle with like um, the pressures put on women in wanting sex making them in some way like uh, you know slutty or um, yeah. All, all of those sorts of things. Um, and like losing that innocence of girlhood or whatever. Um, yeah. And also her like fundamental desiring of like closeness with other people um, and like intimate relationships then entailing like sexual expectations or like either her own like sexual desires or like the sexual you know, expectations of others coming into that. Yeah. Um, but then there's also this way that it's looking forward to, uh, especially once we get to the two Nana's meeting, um, there's also a naivete to Hachi as a character in, in the group. Um, there, there is a certain way in which going to Tokyo is the thing where she then has to grow up quickly. Uh, where she actually hasn't up until that point. And then she has to do a lot of that um, after she moves. And this will even get immediately foregrounded with like her going and being like, oh, I have to like get a job and like uh, pay, pay rent, rent and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of that stuff. Uh, so that's, I think, also like slightly contained in that phrase. Um, and the the way that this like suburban middleness uh, has unprepared her for some of that stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if there's a, uh, immediate place you want to go to next, but, um, I guess we could talk about, well, kind of where you brought us to, which is, we start off with her getting dumped by <laughs> Asano Takashi. Um, yeah. so we, we right away, get this relationship that she has with Asano. Um, and I think there's things about this relationship that are, uh, it's, it's maybe not the situation that you expect to find your heroine in, in a typical shoujo manga, (laughs) uh, at the start of it. Um, as like a 17 year old girl dating, this uh 29-year-old like businessman uh who is like cheating on his wife with her. Uh so there's a very like there is something a little bit jarring about um that we start here with yeah. Hachi. I don't know if you felt the same way. Um yeah there there is and I think there's also it's something that I find, uh, especially when I when I was reading through the for the first time that I found very refreshing, um, 
Yeah. Is that there, there's a, a frankness about sex in this work. Um, that I think a lot of, uh, and I, again, this is like, Yazawa Ai is also coming from doing like some Jose stuff as well. This is sort of this crossover. It's being published in a, in a shoujo, uh, like magazine. Um, but there is a way that she's like immediately having a certain Jose sensibility when it comes to things around sex. Um, I think it's like part of what allowed this crossover hit to happen. Um, and just like as a note, in case people are unaware, uh, the most like it's like the highest selling uh, shoujo manga of all time uh, outsold like fucking Bleach when it was running. Um, so I <laughs> uh, just want to note that it was like uh, incredibly successful, despite the fact that I think in the US um, only recently is like the is it getting more attention? Um, and I feel like it's still primarily in the realm of people who are interested in shoujo. Um, you know, the, the times that I've been randomly complimented in public for my Nana shirt are like teen girls <laughs> being like, Oh cool. Nana. They're like, okay. Yeah. I, it's like TikTok teens that are reading this right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, there, there is sort of this frankness around sex, um, which a lot of, shoujo manga and especially shoujo manga that that's like really talking about uh high school girls and focused on that and we're starting here in high school but we're going to move out of that realm pretty quickly mm. um it's still going to be like young adulthood to some extent but um there's so much more like timidness around sex uh so much more talking around it in various ways and you know we've talked on other seasons about how some of that stuff can um, tie into queer themes in the way that queerness is sometimes the thing that has to be talked around. Um, and so this being able to be frank about sex, but it's still also going to dig into the, like some of those other things around queerness, um, at least in the way that I'm reading it, which I, I believe in my heart is the correct way to read it. Uh, <laughs> I think that the people who say that this is, uh, not about two girls in love are factually wrong, but, um, you know, I, I think that that adds to it and it allows it to get deeper into some of these things because Nana as a manga being, I think, um, in its like scope being primarily about love itself and especially the love between these girls, being able to address the sexual dynamic of love as yeah. well as the societal pressures that exist in that in like sexual relationships um, is part of what allows it to have a lot more power uh, instead of having to kind of constantly tiptoe around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and I think, uh, I mean, I usually shy away from the word intentional, but um, it does feel intentional that the manga insists right away on you seeing uh not uh hachi's sexuality um like her having sex with asano uh, we get that in volume one um but insisting on that being present uh and being recognized um it seems to be a, an important uh component of how the the show um show this is still ghost divers so yeah um Old habits die hard. Uh, 
but it's an important component of how the manga is is asking us to to think about um romantic relationships um it's not an uncomplicated <laughs> uh portrayal of sex um yeah. but and and i think that's kind of the the crux of um the point you were making is okay it's insisting on acknowledging sex uh precisely to like really grapple with the complications of it uh, but the precondition to that is you have to just confront <laughs> that uh the sexuality of these characters uh like full stop yeah right away um and you know it, it's it's not really a um a story that's squeamish about like the existence of sex or the fact that its characters are sexual uh sexual beings yeah um and then i think like just to go slightly broader with some discussion we can we can dive back in from here um but it, i i think a lot of the the arc of this like uh you know standalone story or or you know first chapter of achi's story um she says specifically at, at the end that like she wrote these to be complete in in and of themselves but also point towards a future story um but part of what's happening here is um also the way that this this relationship like it, the way that she's broken up with is just like oh well we're not I'm not going to like come by to have sex anymore because I have to move to Tokyo now. Um, and so she ends up having, I think this, what I'm reading as like uh, almost this, this trauma around like feeling used by him that she was feeling something that she thought was genuine love. Um, she thought it was being reciprocated in some way. Um, and then when he just sort of leaves, she feels sort of used in that moment. And then she's reflecting on the relationship. We get the thing where she's like noting, you know, we got together only a few times a month. And when we did, uh, it was all about driving to a hotel room. And to think that I thought this was love, um, that happened sort of early on. Yeah. We and then, then li- get later, like I didn't even, I made that may have been his fake name, uh, a fake name. Yeah. All I had was his cell phone number. I didn't know anything about him. Yeah. Um, and then this sort of gets intensified in that moment of, you know, no, don't touch me. You don't love me. Don't touch me. Where she's specifically having this reaction to Shoji being like, I don't want to be touched by a a man who doesn't love me. Mm. Um, what, especially when she's having this moment of sort of joking and laughing about all the other guys that she had crushes on and, you know, have I, isn't it, isn't it funny how boy crazy I am when she's like, you know, drinking um but then when she gets to the part where she's supposed to tell takashi uh you know what happened with takashi which we got the whole here's the here's my love life earlier in the manga instead of telling it she just breaks down and cries and has this like moment of don't touch me um and then it it, you know this recurs with sort of the relationship that she's having with shoji where she's trying to maintain this distance of friendship um She's trying to follow this advice of like, I should become friends with someone first before I date them. Um, she's maybe over committing to that. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. a part where like Junko is trying to be like, well, look, like if you fall in love, you fall in love. Like <laughs> just like, I'm just telling you like 
at least start from not being like, oh, that's a cute boy. I want to have sex with him or like, you know, I want to date him. Like try to get him to know him first and then and then do it. (laughs) Like that's all I'm telling you. Yeah, Um, you you have to see them as people first. Yeah. Um, But also in some ways, like um, perhaps that that going overboard or like uh, pushing it further is also coming from this trauma that she's having around Takashi, where she's like, I, I am also not ready for that right now because I, I intentionally want to try to find something that's like love before I, I progress and I'm like overdoing it in that because I'm being overly cautious because of the ways that I'm feeling around what happened with Takashi. Um, yeah. And so we get like the moment where, um, you know, June and uh, Kyosuke have fully hooked up at this point. They're like at the hotel. Um, Nana walks in on them. Or, yeah. Uh, Hachi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hachi. And they're like, uh, you know, oh, we're, we're going to go to the other room. Like, uh, Shoji and I, we're going to go. There. We're friends. It's fine. Um, and then Hachi's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm a guy. I, I'm interested in you. Um, and has this line of, cause she's like, wait, what do you mean? Uh, and she, he says, guys can do it even when they're not in love, which one is true of women as well. We're going to see this with Hachi and like the first encounter with Takumi and stuff like that. We're going to get the ways that she like wrestles with that. Um, this is the thing that, that she's also being like, was I even feeling love towards Takashi? And she also answers, I know that because this is her fear about Takashi is yeah. that he didn't love her and still just did it with her, you know, still had sex with her. Um, then I think this culminates to has that moment where she sort of happens into him. They have dinner and she comes to this one. I, I think it's interesting. It starts with her saying, I really did love him. Which is just that assert assertion of like, regardless of what he was feeling, I that was real. I did feel love. Whatever yeah, I thought my, was my a form feeling of love. was real. Yeah. Um, and then says, and he loved me back, even if for a moment, that like in some way there was a a reciprocation, even if it wasn't entirely what she wanted from that. Um, and then says, and that's okay, I should accept it. I don't have to beat myself up over it. Um, and this is gonna be something she's like going to struggle with again, you know. This is not the end of her having these struggles about like um, wanting sex and wanting love and sometimes getting it from those who will only give it back to some extent um, and then beating herself up over it. Yeah. Um, um, wh- one thing I would add to this is so <laughs> for all the reasons that you just said, uh, the definition of love or, you know, what love means is put at stake immediately um in uh first half of volume one <laughs> uh Ayazawa is putting it on the table uh of like love is the main focus we're gonna explore uh this this is what's gonna be at stake and uh to like kind of uh for context to what you're saying as well just to add this in here um I feel like we're seeing a larger arc, even just in this section, for Hachi, where we're seeing her own like definition of love uh, shift and uh, grow dramatically. 
uh, from this lake. When we start out, she's talking about falling in love with like Nakamura and Yoshida and these like ancillary uh, people that she does characters that she doesn't even really know. Yeah, the pizza guy who she just keeps ordering pizzas so she can see him, which is the yeah. funniest of them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So she's using like attraction, crush, and love. Uh, all of these ideas are basically like conflated, uh, seemingly for her, um, at the start. And with the relationship with Asano, um, she has this heartbreak that becomes this like struggle or this challenge for her to her definition of love, um, that complicates it. And then, uh, you know, she's, suf- she's suffering because of that, um, because of that pain that's, that's a- accompanying it. Um, but ultimately like reflects on it and then comes to this, um, conclusion that, that you just highlighted, um, where now all of a sudden she has specified her, her definition of love a little bit more. Um, and even just in this like short span, uh, you know, first half of volume one, um, we see her ideas about, about love itself, uh, changing and how she is like understanding her own emotions. What she is calling love, (laughs) uh, is, is now starting to shift. Um, so then, uh, you know, that that's leading into all of the stuff with Shoji as well. Um, where like, I think that's bringing in new conflicts or making her aware of like, okay, well, what's the relationship between sex and love? Like, and what do I want? Um, that relationship to be like for myself. Um, and there's like unresolved tensions there, even with, you know, now she's dating Shoji. Um, you know, we've got 20 more volumes, uh, of this. So I don't think it's too, um, too shocking to say that there are some unresolved tensions here that will be, um, yeah. explored further. <laughs> uh, but just, um, I guess, uh, my point being that, uh, you know, her own definition of love is like, is shifting here. It's kind of, we're seeing it be challenged by, um, the things that are happening to her, uh, and then her, like, you know, reformulating it, um, having to, to reflect and reformulate. Yeah. Uh, um, but the, the fact that she can do that is, uh, and the fact that she seemed that she does it. Well, let me back up how she does it. Uh, because we get a lot of like Hachi's uh, internality, which is another great thing about <laughs> this manga, um, is it gives you a lot of internality for all of these characters. Um, so we get to witness a lot of her like internal monologue and how she is grappling with this. Um, I will just say the fact that she's able to. Uh, grapple with it and the way that she grapples with it 
uh, are important things to note about her character. Um, and we'll see like these traits about her um, become <laughs> uh, it, continue to be important l- later as we go um, mm-hmm. and start to like give her some distinction, I think from, um, from other characters. Um, one other thing, and, and this can maybe be the thing to also move us on to Osaki Nana onto Nana. Um, but especially this time reading through, I, w- I was beginning to note ways that this like standalone story parallels some things in the, the serial version, uh, and specifically in ways that the relationship developing between Hachi and Shoji, although, um, sped up, uh, you know, far quicker, um, there's like a condensing of time happening. We're also going to see play out in similar ways with Hachi and Nana. Um, Mm, yeah. So, so one thing is like sexual desire becomes like, it is at this forefront and, um, Hachi is like intentionally trying to sort of suppress it and, and become friends with Shoji. Uh, this idea of like become friends with someone first and then like fall in love from there. Uh, this is a thing that is going to perhaps come more naturally to her with Nana. Um, because she's not going to have that immediate sexual desire. Although there are, and it's hinted at here, like we're going to get when Hachi first sees Nana, uh, these comments about how cute she is and, you know, how cool and everything and, like, seems immediately sort of... Um, it is maybe not processing it in the same way. It's not thinking about it in the same way of, like, immediately going to sex. But there is, like, a an immediate attraction that she's also going to have with Nana um, in the same way that she kind of does with Shoji. But there's a different tone. And, you know, how much of that is the way that societal pressures shape even the ways that you think about the the things that you're feeling when you see someone, right? Yeah. Uh, pressures around sex and gender and how that like relates to when you when you see someone and you get that aesthetic pleasure and that interest and that attraction, how do you even in- interpret it yourself? But even beyond that, um, there is also this way that during the part where Hachi is trying to be friends with Shoji, she's already kind of treating him like a boyfriend. She's depending on him. She wants to move with him. Um, you know, she... Live with him. Yeah. Yeah, wants to that. live with him, all of this kind of stuff. But isn't acknowledging that that relationship is like... You know, she she knows that she wants to date him in some way, but she's like holding back from that. But she, we're also going to see her treat Nana similarly. In fact, the the disintegration of the relationship between Hachi and Shoji is the fact that she is going to be doing this with Nana. She's going to be like, oh, I want to go home and hang out with Nana. You know, I can depend on her so much, blah, blah, blah. Um, there is like a way in which she's going to like switch to and do this same pattern with Nana, but with less uh, self-awareness that that's what hap- what's happening, mm-hmm. at least in the beginning, I think. Um, because again, there's not that immediate recognition of, oh, I want to have sex with this boy and I'm trying to be friends with him. Um, 
but there is still this way of like that friendship is going to take on the same level of like dependence and desire to always be with Nana to to live with her to like move with her she goes someplace all yeah of that. I mean a, a greater extent yeah yeah it it becomes even more intense uh, than it does with Shoji. Um, uh, but yeah, Shoji, her like immediate response to Shoji is so, um, inflected by convention, it seems. Yeah. Um, because again, it's like in line with this pattern where she's, she has certain expectations about like her own sexuality or like the relationships that she's going to have. Um, that are so informed by convention, uh, at the beginning, um, which is like, oh, you know, cute guy, like, of course, uh, she, she has an uh, exchange with Junko, um, in this yeah. section of the, of the volume where she's <laughs> If like, you were a guy, June, I'd totally be your girlfriend, which is a very straight thing to say to your friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, yes, yeah. that, but also... <laughs> She's confused that Junko has male friends because yeah. she's like, oh, like, how could you possibly have male friends and not just like want to, if they were attractive, like you just want to date them. Um, because like, of course, that that's what happens <laughs> between yeah. men and women, right? Um, yeah. So like the fact that this is her first response to Shoji and then it has to be, um, you know modulated by Juko being like, Oh, actually you should see men as people <laughs> and not just, you know, a- as uh romantic partners purely. Um, yeah. I think it's, that's offering support for, for the argument that you're making, um, yeah. which is that her, uh, Hachi's, even her responses that seem to be, you know, organic and like instinctual or whatever, um, are really uh, shaped by convention and like her own understanding of, of what is possible, um, you know, that, that she's re- receiving. Um, but the fact that uh, the emotions that are uh, manifesting underneath that, um, well, the emotions manifesting underneath that, once they begin to be explored more, I think uh, start to to tell us uh, that that starts to be where she breaks from, uh, or her path away from just like receive notions to like a, her own sense of what she actually wants. Yeah. Um, over the course of the story. Um, and then here's the other, the thing where I, where I was really like, oh, I didn't, the, the first two times, I mean, the first time I didn't really think about it that much. And the second time I didn't pay the same attention because I was trying to make it through all the manga, like, you know, Quickly. at pace, you know, to, <laughs> to do it. Yeah, um, I remember that. So we get to room 707, which is going to recur. That's going to be the room number of the apartment that, uh, Hachi and Nana are going to live together. Uh, this is the room where Shoji and Hachi are staying. Um, and one, ha- Hachi's like immediately like, oh, it's a curse, 707, which she's going to treat similarly when she goes to apartment 707. Um, 
But then this is where they end up starting to date. Like Shoji and Hachi um, have been having these feelings and it like culminates into something in room 707. And one, one of the first things like Shoji's confession is in the form of being like, I really want you to move to Tokyo and, or I really want to move to Tokyo and take you with me. And then talking about like, sort of, I'm not going to read word for word, but like this idea that like the duty of the man, like part of the thing that I have this anxiety about is that right now, if you were homeless, I wouldn't be able to take care of you. Um, and as a man, like that's a thing that I'm supposed to, that's hard for me that I couldn't take care of you because what I'm supposed to do is like support you and provide you with this. Nana is specifically going to talk about what I want to do is to give you your dream of a house and be like the one who buys it with the money that I make when I eventually become like a big music store. You know, this is going to be a a promise that she has and a dream that like Nana and Hachi have. Um, so, so that comes up here in 707. Um, and then we get this thing of like, oh, are we actually going to do it now? Um, and Hachi's like, well, I don't want to do it with someone who doesn't say I love you to me. Uh, and there's this whole conversation where like Shoji's like, oh, love, that's so hard for like a, a guy to say. Maybe I'll pretend to be someone else. And she's like, that's weird. Um, but then there's this moment where he hugs her and then she says, um, Shoji, I heard it. Your heart told me you loved me. And so we also get a specifically being figured here. The idea that love, the word love does not have to be spoken in order for it to be real, for it to be a thing for a character to hear, for for a human being to hear, to feel. Um, it can be un- unspoken. It can be obscured in some way. It can still be real and legitimate. And like for, for Hachi, that is enough. Uh, for many people, that is enough. So also in 707, where they start dating, where they fall in love, where like this relationship starts they being Shoji and Hachi, but also they being Nana and Hachi. Um, we also immediately in that scene get this idea that love doesn't have to be named in that way for it to be real and legitimate. Um, in in chapter one, volume one, you know, first, yeah. first story. Not even a numbered chapter yet. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So volume one is giving... Uh, it's really telling you a lot of what's going to be at stake <laughs> yeah. uh, in the story. Um, you know, and I think you get a lot of that um, with uh, Hachi's arc just ri- right off the bat um, in a way that's actually quite subtle um, because Hachi's arc is, there is something a little more um and it, maybe I'm not the one to say this cuz I'm I'm certainly not the most <laughs> uh experienced reader of like shojo uh yeah. material um but it, in some ways like the arc that you get with Hachi's part is seems like a more conventional uh perhaps even like a complete uh shojo arc mm-hmm. uh here and, um, you know, for that reason, I think if you're reading for the first time or you're, or you're reading quickly or whatever, um, you can kind of miss some of the subtleties, uh, of 
what's being put on the table. Uh, yeah. But but we are getting a lot here uh, where the manga is kind of telling you, <laughs> uh, here's here's the way we're going to think about things and here's what's going to be uh, at, at stake in, in this story. Um. So speaking of Hachi, the love of Hachi's life, shall we move <laughs> on to Nana? <laughs> yeah, gladly. So, um, we don't have to talk a bunch about the style again. <laughs> so do you want, do you yeah, want to shall we start, start with, with the first yeah, page? Page one. Um, yeah. Do you want me to oh, read it again? Uh, before we start with that starting point. Okay. <laughs> we have an earlier starting point we need to start with, which is the synopsis. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, Nana Osaki section. Uh Osaki Nana is the vocalist for the punk band Black Stones, uh, from now on referred to as Blast, which is uh, um, how most people in the in the world of Nana uh, say it. Yeah, and this is a this is a common um, contraction thing used with like Japanese nickname for stuff. Uh, Nana is Blast. Um. Yeah, it it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it rolls off the tongue a little better than Blackstones. Yeah. Um. At, speaking of Blast, uh, Nana is dating the bassist Ren. Uh, the two we find out are both orphans, uh, and they recount, uh, or the story recounts how they first met, uh, eventually became a band, and then uh, fell in love. It is like framed as them reminiscing in some way, like while in the bath. Yeah, there's uh, the <clears throat> the narration of this section is actually somewhat complex. Um, yeah, like the play of perspectives. Um, I was noticing that rereading it this time. Uh, but the the chronology and the perspectives um, is complex. We'll just say that. Uh, yeah. But I it's guess- a number of different. <laughs> like remin- reminiscences and flashbacks there's at least like two or three different uh that are like sewn together that give us this full story yeah um but the story consists of this their background how they first met became a band fell in love uh however in the midst of discussing their memories together uh, Ren reveals that he got an offer to play guitar. Again, the chronology of this is maybe not quite <laughs> as yeah. clear as the uh, the synopsis is making it out to seem. Um, we'll just say Ren reveals to Nana that he got an offer to play guitar for the newly signed band and formal rival of Blast, Trap Nest, in Tokyo. Uh, he has decided to go, even though it means breaking up Blast and ultimately uh, forcing Nana to choose between her uh, prideful ambitions to become a singer and her desire to stay with him. Um, in other words, uh, he's moving to Tokyo uh, so she can come with him uh, or she can stay and like try to keep doing Blast. Um and so he's kind of put, put her in this position. Uh, she chooses to stay. Uh, so 
Um, we get this cheerful parting at the train station as Ren is leaving. Um, but Nana has chosen this uh, because she wants to uh, develop her own artistic voice and her skills as a musician. Um, she's going to take singing lessons uh, back in their hometown. Um, keep playing in Blast, keep building Blast up. Uh, and then go to Tokyo with Blast uh, on her own terms um, later on. Uh, over a year later, after the dissolution of their relationship, Nana decides to celebrate her upcoming March birthday by buying her own train ticket to Tokyo to pursue her dreams on her own. Uh, so she's kind of... We end the, the volume on her like being ready to, to go to Tokyo. Yeah. Um, there's a part where I was going to jump in, but I figured I would let you finish the, the synopses, but people probably heard me start doing it. Uh, one other stylistic thing before I talk about uh, page one of, of this, you know, uh, one shot story. Um, there, there is, and I think that this happens to some extent in like some of her other stuff that I've read, but I feel like it's pronounced in, in Nana, uh, in particular as a stylistic thing, but there is like an attention to, um, different points of time sort of overlapping as well. Um, or being presented alongside each other, uh, in those different perspectives. Um, and I, I wanted to save it when we were talking about all the stylistic stuff for this, because it, it's so intense here, but also this is not the only place it happens. I think it's just the place where it's the most, um, in your face about it, but like, we are going to get jumps to the future when we get into the main story. Um, we're going to talk about how, there are like sort of voiceover narration that's from uh, some sort of future point. We'll talk about what that future point is. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit with the first page for Hachi's section um, of this volume. There were some flashbacks in like recounting her love lives and things, uh, but not quite to the same extent. Right. It kind of, it was mostly in that section um, jumping forward through time. Um, and, most of Nana is going to sort of do that, but also constantly have this, like the future being overlaid on it or what we're seeing as being some sort of past that they're t looking back towards. Um, and this is the thing that like does it the most like showy um, foregrounds it the most, but it is kind of a, a consistent thing with, with this manga. Um, even when it's not jumping through various times, uh, as rapidly as this one does. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree. This is a good, uh, a good section to, to start talking about that because yeah. I mean, th this happens like on single pages uh, where you have like panels of flashback from, uh, you know, d different time, obviously than the like diegetic time or whatever. Um, yeah. That are just occupying the same space um, and become blended uh, in like more, more and more extreme ways with the, like the frames start blending together uh, or like coexisting um, in, in ways that 
uh, are not always clearly delineated. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are times where what time, like, uh, which period a specific even panel on a page is coming from, um, is like signaled by what outfit <laughs> Nana's is wearing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at one specific example. Um, so this is when Ren and Nana are in the bath and Nana is talking about the red dress that she bought, um, that she wore to the, the concert where she saw Ren for the first time. Um, but now we have this page where, um, the scene is Nana and Ren in, in the bathtub talking about their past. Um, and that's already been established. So we've had that for a few pages. Um, but we now have like the first, you know, row of the page is flashback. Nana's own flashback, uh, showing her looking at the dress close up of the dress now going back to Nana in the bath and Ren talking about the dress. Uh, and then the following page we have. Yeah. This page in particular. Um, combined into one panel. Yeah. And it, and it being sort of a, a poignant one too, because we have sort of like top of the panel, larger uh, figures um, sort of Nana and Ren having sex, like Ren kissing her neck. Um and then we've get we got the narration of I hid that red dress under my coat and ran through the blizzard. Um, we've got her in the coat. We can like barely see the red dress that she's wearing, which we know for her is like tied up in these feelings around sexual desire as well. Um, and we get like in the same panel this expression of the like them actively making love while she's like hiding it running through the snow <laughs> at the same time yeah. um or like within the same panel but from different time periods um yeah and then like the narrative of this the past <laughs> the narrative of the story being told about the past is going to culminate like the immediate next action in the like flashback of the story is for meeting ren uh-huh. um and there's a juxtaposition happening with like her uh this this whole arc uh for nana um i I would say it's largely focused on her relationship with ren and it's charting this movement from isolation and um you know alienation from others uh like deprivation of love and like warmth and comfort and so on um to this like fulfillment uh that she's getting with ren and then also like her current life and her band and everything um but it going back to this panel now uh this panel is really uh doing a lot of a lot of work for that because we have the flashback uh which is her literally moving from like, it's this pivotal night in her life where she's running through this blizzard um, that, you know, we can read into all uh, symbolizing this emotional state of, of coldness and um, isolation. She's running alone. Uh, She's running to the place where 
<laughs> she's going to like meet Ren. Uh, but then that's juxtaposed with her like in this warm bath in the home that she and Ren are sharing together, having sex, like comforting each other. Um, so anyway, hopefully that's not <laughs> a too, too convoluted of a um, breakdown of this, but uh, just goes to show like the layering that uh, is achieved with, um, with these like juxtapositions, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, that I think is interesting with the, the layering of different times, um, in this chapter is that I think like Nana as a character, uh, compared to, to Hachi, um, I think is going to be more defined by like one, there, there are ways that, um, you know, her relationship with like Ren is like ended, but also in a weird stasis. Uh, there's like stuff that's going to develop with how that relationship continues on. Um, and so like there, there's a way that like their relationship has almost like dropped out of time and will come back, uh, in the, the manga. Um, but I also think like, you know, some of the stuff that, that I ended up really relating with uh osaki nana when i read through it the first time as well is um there there are ways that as it progresses she's going to be depicted having trauma and that trauma manifesting in like essentially ptsd attacks or like panic attacks um and a lot of you know, speaking as someone who, uh, I, I will say this on the podca- podcast is going to therapy for PTSD and like dealing with PTSD attack stuff around somewhat similar feelings that, uh, Nana has. Um, there is a, like PTSD is literally a, a layering of like the past over your present moment. Um, it is like, uh, often this, this difficulty in distinguishing, because like something has hit at a specific emotion and a specific thing where uh, sort of the memories of the feelings that you have sort of take over and you become stuck in them again. Um, and so I think her kind of having this this layering of different times here is also um, pointing towards this going to be this is going to be a thing that she's going to struggle with the mm-hmm. the um how does her past continue the to persistence. sort of haunt her or yeah persist um and how does that manifest both like um in little depictions of her having like trauma attacks um as well as like you know the stuff with her mother and how that's going to come back and like how the this stuff will sort of haunt her and things throughout the throughout the story um Whereas Hachi has a little bit more of like a clean progression. Um, Nana is often kind of caught between this, like moving forward and then having the past sort of constantly stuck there with you. Um, Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, And the way that it's manifesting uh, also being multifaceted. Um, So of course, manifesting in like her, um, learned like behaviors or learned responses um and and just how like her expectations and relationships and then how she's um how that's informing how she's 
treating others and, and um, conducting our relationships. Um, but then also like her involuntary responses to certain yeah. things. Uh, and then also manifesting in more literal ways, uh, physical ways uh, later on um, that I'm going to choose not to spoil, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the way that the past is like persisting, um, definitely something <laughs> to, uh, to pay, continue paying attention to for her. Yeah. Um, shall I finally get to page one? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say we're overdue for page one yeah. at this point. Okay. Um, I have no idea where I was born. I've never seen my father's face, and I've long forgotten the face of my mother. I came to this coastal village when I was four years old. I was raised by my grandmother, who ran a small diner and constantly dumped her cold sarcasm on me. These days, while working tirelessly, I polish the shards of my dreams. Um, And then we immediately get, uh, ladies and germs, we're blast. (laughs) Then doing a concert. Yeah, we Uh, see her polishing the shards of her dreams. Yeah. Uh, So I think, like, you know, in contrast to Hachi, Nana being immediately defined by absence or loss um, or, like, a lack. uh, There's also this sense of of being on the outskirts or the fringes, um, as well as, like, a certain solitariness. um, You know, this coastal village, a small diner. Um, yeah the the never knowing your father having forgotten her mother's face uh these sort of things that were lost no idea where i was born uh you know all this stuff providing like the this absence or this loss um and this uh this again fringe or uh outside marginal existence marginal existence yeah uh, and then that being linked to the tireless work and the shards of the dreams. Um, yeah. So we were, have this image of, well, I mean, first of all, those two things are linked. <laughs> uh, that's an important bit of information we get about Nana O yeah. <laughs> uh, that we should remember um, that the, like that foundational sense of loss uh, is also linked to her like drive um and to her like dreams um so her like you know tireless work to um to do something <laughs> in relation to that that sense of loss uh, i think yeah. we can presume you know to reassert herself uh from this marginal existence to reconstitute um a a sense of identity and foundation of her life and um all of those things that she uh was deprived of um and and so on um but there's this idea of work and striving and struggle um to to do those things um and then that that work being figured specifically in relation to her dreams um, 
which shards of dreams is interesting um because you know shards uh, of, of course i think of shards of glass <laughs> yeah uh, which on one hand uh, we won't get any of those <laughs> absolutely not um yeah and yeah i wasn't even thinking of that connection actually but it's even funnier now that um now that you made me think of it uh but you know shards prove the existence of a prior hole in a way yeah right um and then to carry that existence forward um either fragments of something that once existed uh, denoting the existence of that thing and representing it. Uh, But they're also dangerous um, because they're, you know, if they're shards of glass or obsidian or some other (laughs) uh, random material, um, you know, they uh, seems to imply, you know, uh, something that can cut you and hurt you. Um, and she's polishing them. So is she making them sharper or, or is she making them more clear, you know, polishing the surface or polishing the edges? Yeah. Um, so, uh, there, uh, there's, there's a lot to think about (laughs) right away. Uh, let me tell you, peanut brittle will cut your mouth up real good, but you can still (laughs) polish off a whole box of it. Yeah, just you yeah. gotta you gotta sh- sharpen it to a point um, that'll really mess you up. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think another interesting thing um, happens very early in this in this chapter um, is that before we've even learned about like Nana's dating Ren, we get Nana kissing Misato. Who's going to recur later as a character, but right now is just sort of, you know, the the most clearly distinct of the groupies. Groupie. Or, you know, yeah. Uh, everybody else basically has Nana's hair, but Misato has like her own fashion sense, um, and and also gifts Nana some Vivian Westwood, uh, which she's all excited about. Um, but we get her kissing Misato, uh, which causes Misato to blush, and then. She's sort of like laughing about it, you know, oh, all those like other fans are going to beat her up because, you know, she got a kiss from me or whatever. Um, And a lot of this is, I mean, one, there is this like homosexuality being figured in that. um, But also we are getting something that that I think is going to be core to the way that um, she relates to sort of like... We will obviously get the way that she relates to sexual desire when it comes to like Ren and stuff in this chapter as well. But there's also this way that we will see her relate to it that is specifically around like recognizing that she she is attractive, that people find her attractive and using that in like uh, playful ways um, and sometimes like uh, teasing and maybe going too far with it. But like seeming to be doing it more for the attention rather than anything else. Um, Mm. You know, this is more, I think a moment of getting attention from Misato than, you know, others and and like play and play. Yeah. To like kind of rile up, you know, to be affectionate with Misato 
and then to like create this kind of scandal scandalous moment or whatever minorly yeah. scandalous um but yeah there there is sort of a freedom in the way that she will play with that that aspect um that we can get into more as we read more of the manga but uh, i just wanted to highlight it here uh the other thing i wanted to, to highlight that we can talk about more uh because it will sort of come up in in color later scenes um is like the first like you know not just like a splash panel or something but like sex scene that happens in this manga happens in a claw-footed bathtub um and uh, that sort of bathtub is also going to occur in the room 707 that Nana and Hachi will share. Um, and so I think it's important to note like the, and, and we will see bath like also return as like a sexual thing for Nana. Uh, so to, to bring that up, cause it's going to color like her reactions to things later on, all of that. Um, but I, I also wanted to highlight that here. Um, yeah, that's a good highlight. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> again, even having read it once before, um, I never made that connection between the Ren's bathtub and then the later bathtub. That maybe <laughs> uh, we won't expound on just now. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I I think to get into sort of uh broader themes happening here uh that also tie into some of the stuff that we've been talking about so like we get the red dress showing up um the red dress being this thing that uh let me see if i can find the specific way that she talked about it um that uh so like a proverb uh grandma would always tell me that my mother had me without ever knowing who my father was that she was the type of girl who'd run off with a guy uh, cause I got in the way and that, uh, I should never grow up to be like her. That's why she never let me wear pink or red. She said, if I dressed like that, it meant I was seducing men. Um, and this is also tied up in like, uh, there are these allegations that she's like sleeping around or prostituting herself that she doesn't deny. And that's why she gets kicked out of high school. Um, but also she's kind of asserting like it wasn't really true. Uh, but she just didn't deny it. And so there's like this tension that she has as well around that idea. Um, the, the red dress being sort of linked with, um, this like sexual desire, but also the, the way that it's sort of caught up in, um, there, there's this version of it that is like this like actual wanting it, but there's also this certain like, Oh, if I was wearing red or pink, that would mean that I was seducing men. Uh, like almost this, like in this, the way that we've been talking about her sexuality, like there's almost this like acting out to it to some degree, uh, for attention rather than like for the actual things that her mother or grandmother is worried about. Yeah. Um, also going back to your, the sense that page one gives us of her being, you know, marginalized, um, excluded. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we're also learning in this volume that Nana was like accused of prostitution at her school and got expelled because she refused to like, um, deny the charges. Um, but like refused to engage with it. Um, the accusations at all, basically. 
Um, and it just occurred to me that, you know, this is another way that she's positioned uh, on these like margins of society, um, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, and then later on, once we get more of Nobu, uh, Nobu's flashbacks, we see a lot of what Nana's life at school was like. Um, so then we can say even prior to the allegations, um, very like socially isolated. Um, so, you know, even I think the other things that the red dress is symbolizing, um, are also being linked to, um, this whole other, (laughs) uh, order of, of things, the negative things, um, like the marginalization or whatever, um, her kind of like trying to, um, take control of that in a way or redefine it for herself. Um, in, in this kind of like, uh, this struggle or this like self-assertion, um, and like, uh, this expressive way that is kind of helping her reconstitute, uh, you know, what, what's been taken from her or what's been deprived of, uh, of her. Yeah. Um, there, there's also like death becomes a thing here and, and we'll, will be a thing sort of more tied to Nana than Hachi. Um, we don't have to get into the details of that yet, but, uh, and, and it is a thing that sort of gets figured here. Uh, the red dress specifically is a thing that she buys after, uh, after her grandmother dies. Um, mm-hmm. She blames to some degree uh, or like feels guilt around her grandmother's death because she, she sort of says, you know, I, I didn't deny the allegations. I didn't like really interact with, or, you know, uh, like I didn't like give them the time of day at all. Um, and I was expelled. And then that was sort of like this thing that, um, really like after that my grandmother's health deteriorated it, like feels like she gave up on life and she died and so she has this blame around that um we also get um one uh scarves and there's a way that like so there's a part where uh ren is running after her and is like pulling the scarf um and it's sort mm. of going around her neck um and then she's like sort of holding her neck and we get the panel of like him holding the scarf like wrapped around her neck um, as she's sort of looking up at him. And then it like becomes tied around to the, the uh, mic while she's singing. Uh, But we're sort of getting this like interrelation of like love, uh, death or like uh, suffocation here, the music, all of that sort of, uh, these are things that like images that will recur uh, with her specifically. Um, and then uh, I forget if we we get a specific mention here. I know that uh, in some ways it so there's the the strawberry cake, which is the the first appearance of strawberry, and I'm I'm going to emphasize it because it also shows up twice. Uh, one, the strawberry cake is the start of um, Nana's relationship with Ren. It's also in a way going to mark the start of. Uh, Nana's relationship with Hachi when we get the strawberry glasses later. Um, 
And we also will, will in the same chapter, we see a cake later that, um, that Misato makes for Nana, uh, where she sort of, you know, decided to go her own way, reading a letter from a fan about like, you know, the band splitting or whatever, all of that. Um, and when it first shows up and when they first like start dating, uh, they get the cake, um, and there's this joke around, it might be poisoned, like, you know, what, from one of my fans, Nana might have something going on with Ren, so die. Um, and yeah. then, uh, she's like, well, okay, like, you eat it first then. Um, and he's like, I don't want to be off by some random freak. So then when she has the, the frosting on her finger, uh, he kisses her and then licks it off and is like, you know, now it's a freak I know, i.e. if I if I ate the cake and then I died, it would be because I was doing it for you and you're like a person that I, I know and love. Yeah, if I uh, eat it off of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then specifically, Nana says, I thought I was going to die because I wanted Ren. I wanted him so bad I couldn't deal. Um. And so we, we also get this linking here. We're, we're going to have like later on the question of like, if I died, would you die with me? Um, it's going to appear. Uh, so there's also this like tangling of um, death or like that, that darker side with the way that she is experiencing um, love and, and like attachment. Um, and then also like when there's that strawberry cake again at the end, she does take some of the, the, even though she's alone now, take some of the whipped cream and then lick it off of her own finger, um, which is like mirroring that moment with Ren. Um, so that, that yeah. was, and yeah, I, with the scarf, I, I put specifically in my notes, like, uh, you know, scarf, ribbon, choker, which we'll see her wearing a lot. She often wears a choker. Um, and then like the idea of like a collar or a leash, um, all of that stuff I think is also tied up in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, all the different variations of like the, um, the play between like connection and constraint, uh, is, is a key theme for sure. Yeah. Uh, and the way that like something tying two people together uh can also be something that you know again it can be a leash it could be a chain um it can be you know a weapon um all of the, the, the just listing the negative <laughs> manifestations there it could also be a, a number of positive things um so there's a kind of like different valences to that yeah i mean we also even here get the image of um her putting the the padlock around his neck, um, mm. which is borrowed directly from uh, Sid Vicious um, and like Sid and Nancy in their relationship. Um, yeah. And that will other... get remarked on um, later in the manga uh, directly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not to, uh, I have one more like consideration along the same lines about this scarf scene. Um, not to make it overly complicated, but uh, to, to reinforce everything that, that you, all the points you made um, about the scarf. This is also a really 
uh, pivotal scene for Nana in that this is like this is the moment that Blast becomes a band. Yeah. Um, and her like a key moment in her and Rand's relationship, and then the like the moment that Blast becomes a band, because she is like showing up at no- Nobu's house after um this is like the second time that she's seeing Ren. Mm-hmm. Um after seeing him for like the first time wearing the red dress and so on. Um and she's like running away. So she gives Nobu the CD back and then she immediately like leaves. But this is Nobu, Ren, and Yasu <clears throat> who will become blast uh with her. And she like starts running away. Uh and then Ren chases after her and like grabs the scarf and pulls it off of her, but like in grabbing the scarf makes this gesture to her of like pulling her towards him, towards everyone, like back in closer. Um and even though it like comes off of her, she stops and like turns back towards him. Which allows him to be like, hey, Nana, I want you to sing in the band. Yeah. Um, and then, like, so this is the formation of Blast. So this is also, like, um, a profoundly, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, positive moment uh, for Nana. Where, like, her life changes for the better in that um, Ren pulls her towards himself and these other people. Um, and this is, like, a key turning point for her. Uh forming these relationships yeah um so and and also pulling her towards the microphone towards this other thing that she wants uh that she wants to be the singer of the band um and then this will become a a key tension and i mean it uh, immediately starts happening in this where you know we we get this like page that's overpouring with emotion in the way that like the the scarf is drawn and everything and the the movement to like the shot of them all playing together um and specifically ren says hey nana i want you to sing in the band um but we also see context from like before this happens where they're kind of just sitting around being like oh let's make a band uh i don't want a dude to be singer though don't you know any like cute girls who can sing um and so there's like a certain blase attitude that that ran sort of ran sort of has before nana shows up there um but then important to nana is this hey nana i want you to sing in the band um and then also important to her and like the the thing that she has pride over the thing that is the affront to her is that he would go to another band where another woman is going to be singing. And this is going to be like a, you know, key tension um, going forward for their relationship uh, as it like sort of returns later on. Um, And, uh, you know, also gets emphasized here where um, Nobu sort of comes and he says the thing that she's wanting to hear from Ren in that moment which is, I don't want to play guitar with any other singer. And and Nobu says this, but Nana wants to hear it from Ren instead. Um, but mm-hmm. he's the one who's leaving. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I think there's more to say. I don't know if you have any immediate uh, um, things you want to jump to, but the one I do feel thing... like that's... Yeah. 
the one other thing I, I wanted to call out here um, is, so we get the scene at the, the train station. Uh, Nana goes on the train um, as if to go with Ren and uh, perhaps in the last moment even makes the decision that she's not going to do this. Uh, you know, they kiss, she runs off the train and is crying. Like Nobu sees Ren crying in the train as it, um, as it pulls away. Um, but then we get the, you know, the narration from the future of it was over. We didn't say it. We both knew that living apart would be the end of us. There is no reason to call or write. There's nothing, uh, there's no meaning without touch. The loneliness that Ren couldn't express manifested itself in bed every night. I could feel it. I felt it more than anyone else could. Um, and I think this is a thing that's also going to sort of define, to some degree, Nana's, um, you know, the way that she operates or the way she moves through space. But there's also going to be, you know, to to point, and we can get talked about it more when the moment happens. I think there's ways that this is going to change and evolve for her. But in this moment, it's like, um, you know, he left and we didn't have to say anything else. Like, we weren't living together anymore. That says everything. Um, like, all of that is gone. Uh, and there's ways that this idea, this way that she's thinking about that relationship is going to be challenged with Ren. Uh, but we're also going to get her... Um, I think it's specifically Nana. I could be wrong. But later on talking about it is actually when you lose something that you realize how much like you loved that thing or how much you appreciated that thing. Uh, but that's going to come up more specifically with Hachi and with, when they stop living together. Um, but then also the way that it, it's not as clear cut as like in this moment she feels it. Um, so that'll be another thing to think about as we go forward is like her relationship to this idea of like distance appears. Um, and what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and her tendency to like immediately view it as like, uh, the distance is there. And so everything's over. That's what that means. Yeah. Um, that kind there's of no extreme... meaning without touch. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of extreme, like response that, um, probably arising out of the uh these core like issues around abandonment and like loss yeah. the fears that she's having yeah um that she will as you say <laughs> continue to struggle with um so we do have uh perhaps like a similar challenging uh that's happening here early um, you know, we talked about with Hachi, her ideas about love and connection are challenged and then she's has to grapple with that. Um, I think w we may be getting something similar here with Nana where, um, you know, she's offering this extreme initial idea <laughs> of, uh, you know, what this event means and what distance means. Uh, but already like containing contradictory ideas um like her uh her obvious continuing felt connection with ren <laughs> uh which is appearing in the the chapter the pages immediately following the part you're highlighting um where she's like goes on to say 
um, you know, on a cold night like this, someone please warm that man. Um, yeah. So she's like still thinking about him, uh, still like loving him and desiring, uh, you know, for him to be warm and comforted and like all of these things that for her, like, are uh, representative of love. And then because of their similarity, you know, she knows that he needs. Um, so even as she's saying, oh, it's over, um, it obviously isn't. <laughs> uh, there's still something uh, something there. Yeah. Um, so the contradiction is kind of is kind of hanging there at the end of the um, the volume. Um, also, speaking of cold nights, uh, just as a note, there's a sort of inversion of uh, season and then um, how it relates to like the relationships where we specifically get Asano breaking up with Hachi while it's snowing in the, in the middle of winter. Um, and then sort of when they get together, um, I forget if it's specifically spring, but I know like spring for Hachi is like, Oh, like in spring, I'm going to go move to, you know, be with Shoji and all of that. Like spring being this like, um, moment of hope that she's looking forward to. And this gets inverted with Nana where, um, Nana and Ren, uh, hook up specifically like Christmas night. It's like after a Christmas concert. Um, we can maybe think about the significance of Christmas as an anniversary for Nana when we get to Christmas in the, the like main story, you know, the manga going forward. Um, and you know, we also get then, Christmas is when she's thinking about, oh, you know, on my birthday, I'll, I'll get a ticket to Tokyo, um, and having these thoughts and like seeming to have a, even as there's like sadness there, that's when she's thinking of Ren on these cold nights. Um, you know, she's having this sort of like almost bittersweet crying expression, um, thinking about it. Uh, but also it's specifically, you know, it's been one year and nine months since Ren left almost two springs ago. Um, and so spring becomes like tied more to the breakup there. Um, so that stuff gets sort of inverted between the two. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but in my notes, I, I wrote season tracker because I was tracking the, yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. First read through, I was like, noticing that seasons were definitely very significant (laughs) uh uh, and so i resolved to to like track or to try and pay attention to him this time um so uh looks like you're doing the same thing so yeah that's good (laughs) we'll see what what conclusions we can draw from that uh going forward yeah Um, also, also as a note, uh, so, uh, Hachi, uh, for a lot of it is sort of talked about as being 17. Uh, Nana is talked about as being 18. Um, and there's a, a reveal later on, like a, a slightly funny reveal. Um, cause from this there's like, and when they first meet, it's like, oh, you know, Hachi assumes that Nana is older, things like that. Um, when they meet, they are both 20. And when they meet, it is Nana's birthday, which means that Hachi is older than Nana. <laughs> um, 
But that's only a thing if you like really think about it of like, oh, on her birthday when she turns 20 and she's meeting Hachi, who's 20, Hachi must be older then. <laughs> Already 20. Yeah. 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 Very, um, uh, a very close attention to detail there. Yeah. <laughs> I think you got me on that one. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would have picked up on that. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know if you have too much else to, to talk about, but. No, I think I'm good. Um, yeah. I have to keep reminding myself that we have. Almost <laughs> we have many, many weeks to go. <laughs> yeah. And like, not quite an episode per volume, but like an episode for every two volumes after this. So. Yeah. I mean, um, an episode for every like volume and a half for the most part. Yeah. Volume and a half. So. Yeah. We'll have plenty of time to, uh, especially the core relationships, we'll be talking about this for a long time. So yeah, um, I think for now, uh, we've given ourselves a good foundation. Yeah. Um, there was one other thing I thought of, but then I lost it again. Um, All right. Well, we'll bring it back. <laughs> yeah we'll bring it back next episode um yeah i don't know i, I don't i don't remember <laughs> just when, when you do remember invariably in like 20 minutes from now when we're done just write, write it down and we'll we'll start with it next time oh you're not gonna have me like just record a little bit like laying in bed spring up <laughs> go record oh yeah it, if you want to record it, it and then app end it to uh, <laughs> uh to the episode that's great too um yeah i truly don't remember there was something i wanted to highlight and i truly don't remember <laughs> um, yeah, that's... yeah well i i guess that's it our listeners will just be deprived of it forever I I I am I keep flipping through being like maybe I'll find it on a page. What was it? Nope. The harder you try to remember it, the worse it's gonna be. This is true. If we need to do is you we need to start the outro and then you'll remember it mm. in the middle of the oh, outro. I remember it, I remember it, I remember it. Okay. We also we also <laughs> get uh anxieties that Nana has around motherhood. Uh which we obviously mm. get with like her mother leaving her, but then we also get specifically the stuff around uh Pregnancy. her using birth control and she's like, you know, what would we do if I if I like didn't take my pills on time and I got pregnant? Um and Ron's just like, Well, we'd have kids. Like I I've done manual labor stuff, like we'd make decent money, we just have kids. She's like, No, but I don't want to be a mom. <laughs> you don't <laughs> I thought you would. I thought you would agree with this. I don't want to be a mom. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. And then later, uh, when she's, it she has this kind of private moment where she's worried about Ren leaving and struggling with the choice of like following him or not. Um, yeah. And there, there's this page where she's like, "Well, what could I? You know, Ren gave me all of these things. What could I offer him?" Maybe if I quit singing and move to Tokyo with Ren, I could make dinner for us every day and clean the apartment. And and then it's set off in its own panel, like a very uh, noticeably like thin, uh, very tall, thin panel, uh, where she's completing the thought 
and says, and have his children. Um, so we get it here again, where she's like continuing to, to think about this. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, struggle with it. Yeah. Um, also then the, the note on the next page, uh, or the, the bit on the next page of neither of us had families creating an alternative family instead of chasing pipe dreams might be the best thing for us. Um, and you know, it seems like she's going to make that decision. And then we, we get the train station scene where she, uh, does not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where she makes, she makes her uh, prideful choice instead. Um, pride, a, a thing that Nana will struggle with. Um, especially the way that it like, uh, gets in the way of, you know, having relationships with people. Yeah. So, um, I feel, I feel like we've hit the big stuff. So we will you got be back. It. You remembered. Yeah. You remembered <laughs> the motherhood part. Yeah. We're good. Uh, we will Getting be out back of here clean in two weeks with chapters one through six, which will be volume two and half of volume three. Um, people can feel free to read the, the Junko's room. Um, I don't know if we'll, we'll bring stuff up unless something really particularly stands out, but, um, there wasn't like anything big this time, but, mm-hmm. um, we'll comment on it if it feels relevant. Uh, but do just read those as you get to them as you're reading through the volumes. Uh, but I also, they're just less essential. Um, I did try to note when we're doing the bonus chapters, which they should just make sense as we're going through. But, um, you know, if you look at the schedule, you, you should see all of the bonus chapters listed and when we're doing them. Um, so we will, we will see you all then and continue on this <laughs> mighty journey we've started. Uh, <laughs> if you have emails for us, send them to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Uh, please be aware that we, we usually record like three weeks in advance. So also if you try to send in something to be timely, um, you know, keep that in mind, I guess. Uh, but otherwise we'll, we'll get it when we get to the question bucket as always. Uh, go support the network, exportodd.io. Uh, you'll find links to all of the shows. Uh, if you give $1, you get um, some podcasts early, like a week early. Uh, that includes Pondering Bhutan, a show that you and I do, uh, where we're reading through Camarade High School at the same rate that it was published in the weekly magazine. Um, and sometimes talk about it. Uh, sometimes just goof off and joke about it. Uh, but also when we're doing that, I feel like it's still inflected with the humor of grow high. And we sometimes make various, I I don't want to give us credit and say sly references, but we do reference stuff (laughs) quite often, even when we don't talk about it. Yeah. We would never give ourselves that much credit to say any, to say, yeah, we'd never compliment ourselves that much. Yeah. To say sly. (laughs) Um, that's way too grandiose for, for $1. dollar you will also get, uh, episodes of ornate stairwells early, uh, which currently we are calling the non-homophobia zone, um, based off a long running joke. Uh, we have some great cover art by the way, from a uh, friend of the show, Cam Marshall. Um, people should go pre-order or order depending on whether or not it's out yet. I don't remember the release date. Um, their book matchmaker which is, which is fantastic and if you like uh sort of slice of life people hanging out but there's also some like 
general romance stuff happening. It's great. Um, and then uh, if you do five dollars uh, at exportodd.io, you get exclusive bonus episodes. Um, this includes like a, a bunch of episodes of uh, coffee and comic books, which I think at this point, probably both of the, the free Hunter Hunter episodes are out and all the rest are for that $5 tier only. So if you like Shonen manga and enjoy Hunter Hunter, um, check that out. That's, that's something to consider. And there's, there's a bunch of others. I think, uh, the episode of coffee and comic books that I was on was for $5. Uh, so that's one thing to look for. There's other bonus episodes, um, of various shows potentially where we are doing, I don't know if this has been recorded, if we've like managed to record one yet, I don't know if it's worked out. Maybe the tech is going to be too hard to do. Uh, but Autumn and I are talking about, uh, sometimes we will call when I'm driving home from work. Um, we've talked about occasionally recording that and releasing at least like part of it as just like a bonus episode. Cause sometimes we are just talking and we're like, we're basically just doing a podcast right now. Um, and I think we're going to call it by way of beaches because, uh, on my commute, I drive by a place called beaches pizzeria and I think it's funny. So every single time I drive by it, if I'm on the phone with someone, I'm like, it's beaches. Um, anyway, all that, <laughs> that's my little promo for the, the Patreon. Uh, I have one other podcast. If people go to abnormalmapping.com slash long fire, they will find around the long fire where me and my friend M are reading through, uh, Icelandic sagas. Um, by the time this comes out, we are hopefully, at the end or nearing the end of St. Olaf Saga. Um, and then our plan after that is to read the Nibelung lead. So, um, you know, looking forward to that. Um, despite the, the tangle of bad nationalism that has surrounded that, that we will also be walking into. So, <laughs> but that's part of the project Enjoy. of reading old Norse stuff is, um, you know, there's a particular type of guy who reads that for uh, very particular different reasons. reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that guy was Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was one of the guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, follow us at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter or just at Ghost Divers on Coast. Follow me at Voxomnia on basically any social media that I'm on. Um, if you are following me on Twitter or co host, I have a pinned tweet or pinned chose that will link to all of my podcasts. Uh, so that's an easy way to find them. Um, other sites I don't think I'll allow that kind of pinning of posts and stuff. Where can people find you? You can find me at, Reb- at Rebelay, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S, on Twitter and co-host. Um, and that's it. I'm I'm tired. Um, bye. Class dismissed. Wait, that's <laughs> Class <Prashan>. dismissed. <laughs> bye, well, everyone. When, when we did the intro episode, um, I, I had this moment where I wanted to start by doing Around the Long Fire. I wanted to be like, uh, hear us here in the host of the hour, the like whole thing that I wrote for that. And I was like, no, wait, wrong podcast. And then I got to the end and I did want to say class dismissed. I felt the urge. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but this, it's tough when you have a podcast yeah. that has an actual outro and then mm-hmm. you have one that doesn't have it. Yeah. Because it's did just I, too easy to just use, use the same one for both. I don't think I told you, Connor, my plan for the music for for this season 
Um, because normally I just do like the anime OP and ED. Um, and so there, there are some things that have been like released, uh, that are like compilations of music that people submitted or whatever. Uh, there's like love for Nana, uh, Nana's song is my song or whatever. Um, which I might pull some from when we like get to like the bonus pages are talking about those being released. Um, I'll think about it. But I decided uh, part of what would be a, a good thing to do would be to pull like punk and visual K music from like this era or like a little before, um, like sort of roughly when the story is supposed to be set, um, just to like, you know, give some of the like scene setting for like yeah bring it to life yeah um there there's a high chance i'm going to try and vary stuff up but there especially for these first episodes there's a very high chance that most of the the music is going to be bucktick or seagull screaming kiss or kisser um seagull screaming kiss or kisser being a, a punk band with a, a female vocalist that in some ways is what i imagine especially like early blast like before i feel like after like the tokyo move it like gets a little bit more of a poppy inflection that's just like the mm-hmm. way that i imagine it um and especially once they get signed there's like uh, i think like they even talk about like the other stuff being put on them which then inclines me to think that like their earlier punk stuff is a little bit more like indie um so that's why i especially think about seagull uh seagull screaming kisser kisser um and then for Trap Nest, uh, and especially like early Ren stuff, um, and like kind of what Trap Nest is doing early on, I think about Bucktick because they were a, a punk band that transitioned into being Visual K. Um, and so I think that's like a thing that's happening there. I also think of Takami as being like very specifically like the Gacked Hide Hide kind of Visual K stuff. Um, mm. But uh, where it's like extra polished and stuff, because that's what part of the thing they talk about is like um him being like more of a producer um yeah so i'm gonna try and bring that stuff in when it also feels appropriate to like where's the band at i might try and vary up what the what music i'm pulling in stuff like that but especially these first two episodes i strong feeling that both of them are just going to be like buck tick and <laughs> sea girl screaming kisser i know for a fact that this one is going to end people are going to hear it right now uh, uh. i'm pretty sure <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna end it with uh seagull screaming kisser kisser uh their song 17 <laughs> so um because this is the one where hachi 17 anyway bye <laughs> <laughs> bye Class <laughs>
You want to keep it rolling? Yeah. Okay, let me do a quick bathroom break. And then also, um, I'm going to open the door and let the dog in because she's like outside my door squeaking. Uh, okay. I don't think she's going to make too much noise, but I might just say something on the recording about it in case, like. Yeah. Because uh, Sarah went out with her friend and which makes her stressed out and then also it's like thunderstorming so she's she's losing it so i'm gonna let her in and uh try and scare her to go to sleep if that's cool with you yeah okay all right let me do let me do the bathroom and i'll be right back Gonna pull up uh, Narissa Ravencroft watching Resident Evil Village. Oh, she's on Dazatsu now. Oh, literally. Oh, it's literally. I literally came in on See You Next Time, Jailbirds. Wow, that was anticlimactic. Um, I guess she's sending people to be Jim, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that because I have a podcast to record. Oh, what kind of is doing this? <sighs> Should crack open the Karen YouTube on. I have a, um, I didn't, I didn't mention this on the drink check, but I have like a Tupperware here that I put some ice cubes in to keep the beers cold. While I'm, uh, you know, drinking one. So I should finish this acai because it's almost done. And then I can enjoy the Kirini Chuban, which I just like better than acai. I guess I have more of this than I thought. I'm not going to chug this. But still... All right, I'm back. Okay. While you were gone, I tried to pull up uh, Narissa Ravencroft's stream just to, to see what was going on. Uh-huh. Um, and I briefly got excited because um, it was, I, I it, like came in and I saw like, it was loading, but it was like, you know, here's what it's currently loading. Um, and so I could see it was, 
she, she was playing Resident Evil Village. But then at the end of every stream, she usually just goes to like Zatsu mode where she's just like sort of talking with the, the chat for a little bit. Um, sometimes it's very short, uh, like if she just like has to go or, you know, was streaming for a long time. But sometimes she'll like hang out for like a half hour, hour and just like talk. Um, and those are usually my favorite parts because I, I think she's just good at the Zatsu stuff. Um, but... Uh, it literally like finished loading and then it was like literally she went from like I didn't even hear her say anything because then she just started the animation to like go into see you jailbirds for like she stopped streaming so it was it was so anticlimactic I was disappointed I was Aww. like at least I'll <laughs> at least I'll get like a, a minute or two of just like oh Zatsu chilling out not um, so I guess while we're here on on one stream, she said that she uh, had she watched some of the the non anime and really liked it and needs to get back to it. If so. you should get Narissa Ravencroft to listen to our not <laughs> podcast, um, I, I think like you, a- I think you could do that. I think you could actually I, make I that know. happen if you if you tried to. <laughs> If yeah. you tried to do it. Yeah. I could. I, you could, I could. like befriend Narissa Ravencroft and like get Narissa <laughs> to listen to our podcast. Um I don't know if that's true, but I I will say that I think that Narissa Ravencroft would respect the hustle of you can just befriend your Oshi, uh, because she's living that dream right now. So I'm I'm just saying we're gonna be sitting here like a year from now and being like, isn't it wild that Narissa Ravencroft is guest on our podcast right now? <laughs> we just we just push Autumn out. We're like, we're not doing Berserk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing Nana again. Or we're adding Narissa Ravencroft to the Nana. No, podcast. we're doing first Gundam. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, that or would be Macross. good. Or Macross. Macross would be good too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I opened the door so Peggy can come in if she wants, but she hasn't so far. So, Okay. Um, if she does whatever, I'll just call it out. All right. On the podcast. Um, do, we want, do we want to get to it? Yeah. Do you need another clap? Um, I, I don't think I need one, but I guess we could just to be safe. Okay. But like you didn't stop recording, so. No, 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 I did not. <clears throat> okay. 47. Okay. Um Make my mark. <laughs> Um, you want to take a body break? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right, I am back. <clears throat> Hi, back. I'm here. It's always funny to me that you say I'm here rather than like I'm dad. <laughs> I- I'm what? I'm dad. Oh, is that how the joke is supposed to go? Yeah. the The classic, the the dad joke version is. Hi, back. I'm dad. (laughs) (laughs) 
but then usually I say, uh, hi back. I'm mom. (laughs) Oh, I don't know how I adapted that. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm going to stick with it now. Uh, shall we get back in it? Yeah, let's do it. I think I might need to to duck out real quick because <laughs> I hear okay. a crying child. Okay, no problem. I got to switch my headphones anyway. Hello. Hey, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Ooh, okay. Um, let me close the door. <clears throat> can you hear Peggy snorting? No. Okay, good. The little lemon is once again trying to break in. Alright. Should we get back into it? Yeah. You ready to to wrap this thing up? Yeah. Um I mean I can go for uh however much longer you want to go. Um, yeah. but maybe I mean there's uh, there's a few other things that we can touch on. Um, sure. I you are in the middle of something with a red dress, but <laughs> we can. Do you want to just start over the red dress? Like, um, I don't remember how I got there, but uh, we were talking about the panel. You were kind of reading through the panel. Um, um... I think. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I might have to do... I might just have to have a little... Do, 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 do. We had an interruption. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I don't... I don't really remember where we... Yeah. Left. The more I think about it, the less I remember. 